The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. What I would say to, to colleagues, whether you are uh, from a minority background, you know, whether you're disabled, whether you're um, from an LGBT plus background, and so forth and so forth, is that you keep going because I absolutely believe that every door is open if you push, if you persevere until something happens. You don't give up. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down because the lesson is not in how did you get knocked down, the lesson is in how did you get up. What those previous attempts allowed me to do was to refine my offering, hone my skills, but it gave me an absolute opportunity to try again. And don't get me wrong, it was upsetting. You know, there were lots of tears, but I didn't give up. I didn't listen to the people who told me you're embarrassing yourself. Four times you're embarrassing yourself. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Hearing. Um, it's Yasmin here. Lovely to have your company. We've got the perfect guest for you. We have got I, Stephanie Boyce. Stephanie is the current um, Law Society President of England and Wales. She is indeed the first black president and the first person of colour to hold that office. She is the 177th president and also the sixth woman to hold that office, so quite an achievement. Stephanie talked to us about a lot of things. She talked about the barriers that got in her way to become president because she tried four times to hold this post. She talks about her career journey, her priorities as president, uh, situation in, in Afghanistan, big topic at the moment, and also Hillary Clinton. Yep, Hillary Clinton. She met her recently at London Tech Week and she talked about how she found her um, and also why they shared the stage together. So sit back, listen and enjoy. The Hearing. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Boyce. So delighted to have you on. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And thank you very much for having me on, inviting me on. No, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. So for those of you who don't know Stephanie, brief introduction. She is the current president of the Law Society um, and I believe you've held that uh, office since March of this year. So very mm -hmm. challenging, challenging time for you. Um, and you're the 177th president and the first black uh, president and first person of colour that's taken office at the Law Society of England and Wales. So I just wanted to start with this, Stephanie. Could you tell us a little bit about um, your childhood, your background, and, and what interested you in the law? Well, absolutely. So um, so I'm first-generation British, um, the daughter of uh, um, parents, uh, granddaughter of uh, grandparents who came to this country from the Caribbean, um, uh, you know, in search of faith, hope, and greater opportunities to make a difference um, in their lives. And, and I guess, you know, in, in our lives as well, the children, grandchildren, so first to uh, um, go into higher education, um, growing up in a single parent household on a, uh, a council estate um, in, in, in Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire remains a selective uh, county. Um, I didn't pass my, um, uh, uh, I can never remember if it's 12 plus or 11 plus, but either way, I didn't pass the selective exam. Um, and at the age of uh, 12, uh, emigrated to America to live. Um, and for me, you know, um, I was plucked from like rural Buckinghamshire as it was at that time. And, and, and you know, uh, 
put into America. Um, and America would have uh, a lasting impression upon me. Um, I would, I mean, it was so different, different to what I had known, was familiar with, was comfortable with. Um, and, you know, I saw, uh, not only did I see uh, the injustices going on domestically and globally, you know, mm. I saw, you know, uh, mostly on the television when I was in, uh, um, you know, in, in, in before we went to America. Um, but at that point, it was, you know, firsthand. I saw people struggling to exercise their rights because of their low socioeconomic position. People having little or no rights because of the colour of their skin. Um, yeah. I was just overwhelmed by the, by the poverty, um, by so many things, and, and wanted to embark upon a career in law from an early age, uh, as young as I can remember, um, because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to uh, speak for the voiceless. Mm. And, and did you have any role models or anyone in the family or people that you, you saw them, um, you know, having a career in law? Or is, this is something you felt as a child, this sense of justice. What, what was it that inspired you particularly? I think it's probably, you know, I grew up in a household where, as I say, you know, the, the discussions, you know, at that time, looking back, you know, um, you know, uh, the house was always filled with family members you know, yeah. friends discussing, you know, tales of old um, and politics around the world um, and, and domestically. Um, and I think, you know, just seeing what was going on on, on, on television, watching the news um, to this day, um, you know, my mother is a big advocate of you must watch the news. Um, and so I guess that's where my appetite grew. But in terms of role models, you know, um, lots of role models uh, growing up. Um, and whilst I didn't know, I personally did not know any solicitors, uh, mm. lawyers, um, other than what I saw on the television, um, you know, um, role models for me was, you know, um, from uh, one of those role models, quite, quite controversial. Um, uh, uh, it was Margaret Thatcher. Whilst I didn't agree, <laughs> don't agree with her later policies or what she went on to do. But for a young black child growing up yeah. in rural Buckinghamshire, you know, she was uh, an education minister. She was a barrister, you know, because initially mm. I wanted to be a barrister. Um, and she was our first female prime minister. Mm. You know, all of those things. But she was one of many. You know, there were others, um, you know, from the man who took a long walk to freedom, uh, you know, to the man who wanted to be the change, um, you know, in the world. Um, and, you know, to, to the woman who wanted to heal and feed the world. Um, all of those uh, uh, people, um, you know, um, made the, the, the crooked road a, a, a bit smoother. Um, mm. And indeed within my own home as well, um, yeah. uh, you know, the influences um, from the Caribbean and from, uh, from England um, that mm. influenced me growing up. Mm. And, and at school, were you encouraged to pursue this career? or Because I think I read somewhere that, that, you know, a few people may have discouraged you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't, I don't remember much from my younger days, other than you know, uh, uh, in first school, in primary school, other than I was always speaking up for something. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Sounds like you, Stephanie. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you know, um, my secondary school, as I said, was done in America, and I remember, you know, every Thursday that I would be in mourning, you know, uh, you know, in, dressed in black. Um, and, and, you know, I, I could get 
like bleach and write, you know, on my clothing to my mother's despair. But, you know, um, if I had detentions, I'd be sat there with placards protesting, you know, um, if Nelson Mandela's not free, neither are we. And what was quite striking, actually, when I went to America, um, a, a lot of uh, uh, my peers didn't know at that time about the struggles of Nelson Mandela or, you know, um, or South Africa. And so having to educate them as well, you know, um, uh, about it, um, you know, what, what, who is he? What is your placard? You know, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. So I was mourning uh, uh, world peace, um, as I remember it, you know, um, every Thursday. Um, but it was just about advocating for justice. Mm. And where did you study law then? What Talk us through that. So my legal career began, um, so a few days after graduating from high school in America, I was back on the plane to England after about uh, six years. And I wanted to study in this jurisdiction, the jurisdiction of England and Wales. Um, and I felt that I had a greater opportunity to do so financially. So I came back to um, England, but stumbled across my first barrier was that my American high school diploma was not recognised at that time. So I then set about uh, trying to investigate because I didn't know anyone to ask. So I set about uh, to investigate how I could start my, my legal career path. Um, and uh, I did uh, two years part time at Ellsbury College um, with an access to high qualification route. Um, I then went on to uh, uh, I was working all the while. Um, I was working, um, uh, you know, then I signed up for, I was working at British Rail, um, signed up for um, university part-time in February, I believe, 1996. Um, and I remember my cousin drove me all the way to London to sign up. And within a few months, I thought, I'm going to do, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Um, and I enrolled um, full-time by September 1996, packed up my car, all my worldly goods, gave up the, the lease to my flat, um, and moved to um, to a shared house in Marland. Mm. Um, and so uh, in 1999, I graduated from London Guildhall, um, then went on to um, uh, College of Law in Guildford. Um, and um, I was I was lucky um, in as much that I obtained a training contract. My father was in the right place at the right time. I obtained a training contract with a local firm in Ellsbury, Horde and James Listers. Um, and qualified in 2002. Mm. And you sound like you're very persistent um, because <laughs> I know you started off as an in-house solicitor, didn't you? Yes. And then yes. Um, the, the, the role that you've got now as president, you, you tried four times, um, didn't you, to, to secure that role? Absolutely, four times. It was just, you know, I joined council in 2013 Council of the Law Society in 2013. Um, and I made my first attempt uh, to become Deputy Vice President in 2015. And of course, if you're elected as Deputy Vice President, it is an automatic trajectory uh, mm. to become uh, President in three years time. Um, so I, I just kept going. I just, I believe that I had the skills, the capabilities to advocate on behalf of uh, 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 colleagues, the membership, the you know, the profession, the public, um, and I just felt that you know um, that you know people needed to hear me, and you know, and I could be I could be in a position to do that as president. Mm. But, but but going back to the question you asked me earlier, because I realised I didn't yeah. really answer it, <laughs> was, <laughs> was um, 
about, yes, there were people along the way, along the journey who told me, um, you know, that because of my low socioeconomic background, you know, um, I wouldn't have a, a career in law. I wouldn't be able to make it. Um, but equally, there were people along the way, known and unknown, who did advocate for me, who, um, you know, supported me, um, promoted me, um, who inspired me. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to recognise that because I couldn't have got to. So whilst all the hard work and getting here may have been mine, I yeah. absolutely could not have got here without all of that support um, and, you know, uh, advocating and encouragement uh, on my behalf. Mm, thank you for that. And I want to talk about, you know, I know the Law Society have done some research, the experiences of black, Asian, minority ethnic lawyers. Um, what do you think, Stephanie, are the main barriers for um, those lawyers progressing in their careers? Mm. So, you know, the death of George Floyd um, and the recent Black Lives Matter protests absolutely brought to the fore the systemic racism and inequalities which exist, you know, in, in, in all aspects of our society. And sadly, the profession, the legal profession is no uh, exception to that. Mm. Um, racism in the workplace is often subtle and results uh, from unconscious or implicit bias in the culture, policies or processes. You know, that is something that we have to look at. And even more so, uh, Yasmin, as we go forward with, you know, flexible or hybrid policies, you know, mm. uh, um, as we move into this new way of working. But as of July 2019, it was reported that 17.5% of practicing certificate holders in England and Wales, are, for whom ethnicity is known, uh, uh, have a minority background. And that is up some 4% from 1990 or, or in the 1990s. So the number of ethnic minority solicitors is higher than the natural, national average or 14% of the wider working population. But what is clear from the research that we have done is that they are not reaching senior levels in the legal profession in equal numbers to their white counterparts. Um, you know, there are only 8% of solicitors in the largest firms are from an ethnic minority background. And that's that figure has only risen by 1% since 2014. Hmm. Um, and if you compare that to the amount of uh, um, uh, ethnic minorities who are found in sole practice, you know, um, and over, that's a fifth of those are found in a two to four partner firm. So in our race for inclusion report, you know, the Law Society uh, produced a report looking at the experiences um, of uh, black Asian minority ethnic solicitors um, and, you know, improving data, recruitment, retention, progression, setting targets, um, improving accountability and transparency, um, you know, publishing data around FSD pay gap and, and so forth are all active steps that we can take to create a more inclusive um, uh, workplace culture. Mm. It was a very comprehensive report, wasn't it? I, I, I read that with great interest. I, I know in the statistic I've got here, Stephanie, is in 2019, 17.3% of training contract holders identified as Black, Asian, minority, ethnic. And of that, 0.8% were Black Caribbean and 1.8% Black African. I mean, these figures are quite striking really how how few black lawyers there are and it leads me to this question what what do you think the main barrier was for you to 
become president of the, of the Law Society? I mean, four attempts. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to black lawyers today, what those main barriers were and, and how would they seek to overcome it? Mm. Well, absolutely. If I may, firstly, you know, just pick up on the figure that you mentioned earlier mm. of 0.8% of uh, those in the profession coming into the profession are from a black Caribbean background. So what makes it even more striking and extraordinary is that, you know, having identified, you know, coming from a black Caribbean background, um, that I would then, you know, be in a position four times later, but be in a position as, as, as president of the Law Society of England and Wales. But I think, you know, um, what were some of the barriers to me progressing? I think, you know, some of the stuff that I was told along the way is that, you know, we need somebody who can converse with government. Um, you know, we need someone, I'd, I would get frustrated with the workings of the building. Um, you know, so I think, you know, some of that was um, in the four attempts. It was um, in people's own, as we say, implicit and unconscious bias. Um, I don't think any of those individuals who were offering me advice, um, you know, intended to be um, hurtful or, 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 or disrespectful. Um, I think they were perhaps offering up, um, you know, offering up a, a true reflection of how they saw it. Um, but what I would say to colleagues, you know, what I would say to, to colleagues uh, um, across the piece, whether you are uh, from a minority background, you know, whether you're disabled, whether you're um, from an LGBT plus background, or, and, and, you know, and so forth and so forth, is that you keep going because I absolutely believe, Yasmin, that every door is open if you push, if you persevere until something happens, that, you know, you don't give up. You, you know, um, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down because the lesson is not in how did you get knocked down? The lesson is in how did you get up? Because what those previous attempts allowed me to do was to refine my offering, hone my skills, you know, or perfect them, whichever way you look at it. But it gave me an absolute opportunity to try again. And don't get me wrong, it was upsetting. You know, there were lots of tears because, you know, I felt that, you know, um, uh, you know, couldn't understand why, you know, but, but I didn't give up. I didn't listen to the people who told me, you're embarrassing yourself four times, you're embarrassing yourself. Please don't go home and rest. Um, and yeah, you just have to keep going. Yes, thank you for your honesty, Stephanie. I appreciate that. I, I remember when you were going for um, the, the, the role of president, you, you said to me at the time, because I can tell our audience that I was on council for a, for a brief period as well. Uh, you said to me, you know, a few people have said, we want a safe pair of hands, safe in adverted commas. And it makes me think, you know, is that an unconscious bias there? People thinking what's come before being black, being female, you know, that's not something people were familiar with. And I wonder if those biases, as, as you said, may be unintentional, but whether that seeped into their um, way of thinking. Well, absolutely. I, I, I guess, you know, I was an unknown, you mm. know, um, you know, uh, if you look at those who have held the role uh, previously, you know, um, and some of the, you know, some of the, the candidacy of some of them, where they say, you know, um, uh, having to pair up with other individuals because concerned that they might not be able to bring parts of the profession with them, you know, um, it, and I guess, you know, just different, just different factors that feed into all of that, 
you know, um, second in-house solicitor to become president. Yeah. Um, you know, because we've always had, uh, um, for the most part, we've always had, um, you know, those from private practice. But even yeah. Yasmin, down to um, the badge of office, <laughs> yeah. you know, this big old, it's heavy, big old badge, <laughs> you know, that I find quite masculine. Um, <laughs> and, you know, um, and what we have is we had a, um, a spouse's badge for the wife. Um, and so, you know, I wear that and I believe, you know, some of the previous uh, female presidents, because I'm only the six, mm. um, have worn that, have worn the, the wife's uh, badge as their primary, uh, you know, their primary badge, um, oh. because it's more comfortable, it's a lot smaller, you know, it's not as heavy and it's, and it's more, it's, you know, it's not as masculine. I didn't know about that, so I've, I've I've not seen a picture of that. I'm going to have to look at that, Stephanie. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's on my LinkedIn yeah. feed. <laughs> I'll, I'll check out your LinkedIn feed. Um, thank you for that. And so you're now president. Let's concentrate on that. What what have been? I know you've got three main priorities during your term as president. Would you be able to tell us what those are and how have you sought to achieve those during your term? Well, absolutely. So when I gave my presidential address uh, earlier this year, you know, I talked about uh, my pres pre presidential priorities being driven by um, uh, three themes. And of course, you know, that's around, uh, or three sources, sorry, diversity and inclusion and social mobility. I'm an absolute um, advocate of uh, uh, diversity and inclusion and social mobility. You know, I absolutely believe um, that equality of opportunity should be that, you know, it should be for everyone. Determination, skill, ability and aptitude. They should be, those should be the determining factor, not your background, you know, your religion, your race, your gender, you know, none of those characteristics uh, and any others that I haven't mentioned. Um, and, and I am absolutely wedded to the notion, the mission to leave this profession. And when I say profession, I'm not just talking about the solicitor profession, I'm talking about the legal profession, mm. to leave this profession more diverse and inclusive than the one I entered. But Yasmin, I'm clear that this must be a shared ambition with each and every one of us playing our part. There is room for us all in this profession. Um, and as I say, we must be recognised for the skills and experience that we have as individuals um, and not because of you know, uh, uh, any of those characteristics um, that I've mentioned, but also access to justice and technology. We have seen the way that technology has transformed the way we live and work in the last 19 months. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it was said that the pandemic did in some 48 hours, what would have taken the legal profession almost 10 years to do, and that is embrace technology. Um, it really has changed the way, you know, you think about it, I'm sat here in, you know, in, 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 in my home speaking to you, wherever you might be. Um, so, and, you know, it's kept us sane and alive, you know, in, 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 for the most part, um, over the last, <laughs> you know, periods of lockdown. But equally, there are concerns around technology in the justice system. The Police, Crime and Sentencing Courts Bill talks about re remote observations and remote juries. And the Law Society has a number of concerns around uh, remote observations and remote juries. Remote observations should be coupled with, uh, uh, with legal education, educating the public on the do's and don'ts um, as to you know, uh, what the public can do when they are observing um, court proceedings remotely. Um, and of course, you know, 
we're all familiar with uh, an individual who's, who streamed uh, some court proceedings on social media and was found to be in contempt of court. You know, that people don't unwittingly, inadvertently find themselves on the wrong side of the law because they're not aware of, um, you know, the protocol of the court. But mm. remote juries, and we're told that as this legislation is making its way through Parliament, um, that the rationale is that this uh, uh, piece of legislation around, around remote juries will remain on our statute books for a just-in-case moment, so another pandemic, another national emergency, and that will enable the courts to keep uh, uh, going. But our concern is, is how do you test, how do you know, um, you know, for instance, every uh, um, accused individual should be judged by uh, their peers. And in our minds, that means being in the same room, being able to, to, to you know, pick up on body language, eye contact, um, and so forth. Um, you know, because a juror who struggles with their internet or cannot turn their camera on, or, you know, they have good internet, they have good uh, camera um, uh, visibility, but how do you know they're in that room on their own? That somebody mm. isn't there prodding them or, or you know, uh, or helping them to decide whether somebody is, is innocent yeah. or guilty? Yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And did you list your third priority? So you oh, sorry. That. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've got loads of, of priorities, but but, but primarily yeah. mental health and well-being. You know, it's as we come out of the pandemic, um, as we start to make our way out of the pandemic, we know that the last 19 months has taken a toll on us. You know, um, who would have thought that we'd be, you know, that our homes would become uh, you know, um, we'd be confined to our homes to think twice before we step foot outside of our home. But equally, you know, losing loved ones, each and every one of us have been touched in some way, in some respect, by the pandemic. Um, and outside of the pandemic, as a profession, the legal profession, we face an enormous amount of stress um, and, you know, challenges to our mental health and well-being. And it is um, environments must be created that enable us to talk honestly and openly about the challenges around our mental health and well-being. And where environments don't facilitate that, then change must be realised because it's important that we talk about it. Mm. I know Law Care, I was reading, they've published some uh, research and shocking statistics about solicitors um, and, and their mental health and how, how it's impacted. So yeah, I mean, more than ever, it has to be a priority, doesn't it, during during the time that we've just experienced? Well, absolutely. And, you know, to support uh, my priorities, um, I have uh, nominated three uh, presidential charities. Um, so uh, um, the Sutton Trust, uh, to support the equality, diversity and uh, social mobility um, uh, aspect, the um, Access to Justice Foundation uh, for Access to Justice and Technology, and of course, Law Care, um, who um, do valuable, invaluable work um, in uh, and to support our profession. And of course, have just produced, um, as you say, uh, a report that has some very stark, um, mm. eye-watering uh, uh, statistics. Uh, yeah, within it's that. quite sobering read, isn't it? Um, I read that the other day too. And and Stephanie, I I can't. I feel that we can't not talk about the situation in Afghanistan as well. I've heard so much about this and, and I know the Law Society have um, said that they 
they want to ensure that the legal profession is given safe passage to and settlement in the UK. We've got 270 women judges, 170 women lawyers who are especially at risk. Could you tell us and, and the listeners, how have the Law Society been involved um, in that situation? Well, absolutely. I mean, can I first say that women judges and you know lawyers have, have built and upheld the rule of law in Afghanistan and are now in great danger with their lives at risk because of their professional activities, uh, you know, from the Taliban. And also and equally at risk, you know, as I say, the prosecutors, the lawyers who put members of the Taliban in prison, often for terrorism uh, related offences, receiving death threats and are equally at grave risk. So with the International Bar Association's Human Rights Institute, the Law Society has collated information and documentation of legal professionals at risk um, and their families in Afghanistan. And we have sent this information to uh, the FCDO, um, which is the, uh, the, foreign, uh, the foreign office, um, we, uh, uh, first to contribute, you know, initially what was the evacuation effort and to now support the applications for sanctuary uh, in the UK. And we've, we have given input to relevant government departments on eligib- eligibility criteria for uh, ARAP and Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme, um, which is now the new settlement scheme, resettlement scheme. Um, urging them to include legal professionals in such schemes. Um, And we understand that women judges were included in Arab, and this decision was later reversed, although they would now be eligible for the new resettlement scheme that I spoke about. So the lack of clarity about those eligible and the delay in opening up the new resettlement scheme for applications are are, are detrimental, and we are pressing the government departments to move more quickly. Um, the Law Society, together with foreign bars um, and uh, uh, other organisations, have made statements at the United Nations Human Rights Council to draw attention to the perilous situation of legal professionals in Afghanistan. Mm. So, um, so yes, that's just some of uh, uh, what we have done. Yeah, thank you for that. And and lastly, I have to ask you about Hillary Clinton. Like, how can we have an interview without mention of that? I um, I saw that on LinkedIn. I looked on the Law Society website and I saw immediately the picture of you and Hillary Clinton um, was up there on the website. So they obviously changed that very quickly and, and rightly so. Um, and I believe you saw her at London Tech Week. Um, do you want yes. to tell us what that was about and, and what was discussed um, in that conference? That sounds really interesting. Well, absolutely. So, yes, I had the privilege to be in conversation with um, uh, uh, the former United States Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, and of course, you know, a lawyer, or she's non-practicing now, um, in her own right, Um, and uh, uh, shared the stage with um, Claire Barclay, who is the managing, uh, or who is the CEO of uh, Microsoft UK. Um, And the session was was moderated by Virginia Simmons, uh, who's the managing uh, partner of McKinsey and Company, um, and essentially, you know, we spoke about uh, women in leadership. We spoke about, you know, uh, the need for allies. Um, we spoke about, you know, Hillary's a, a, is a good storyteller. Um, you know, she are you spoke- calling her Hillary now? Oh, first name <laughs> terms. I love it. <laughs> well, sometimes I call her HRC, but um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, she's. Yeah, we you know we talked about uh, um, 
uh, our own experiences, you know, and she reflected on when she first started in her career. Um, but it was just, it was an amazing experience to, to share the stage. Um, there was about uh, 200 people in that room to yeah. share the stage um, with, uh, with Hillary um, and indeed Virginia and Claire um, and to collectively uh, share our experiences. Um, and, you know, I, I don't mind telling you this, uh, Yasmin, but... Um, and our uh, listeners, but... Yeah, sorry, people, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's such a remarkable opportunity. But um, you know, I walked back. I, I mean, I wasn't even quite sure where I was walking to. I was just walking because I was so busy floating on cloud nine. Um, and you know, um, it was just an amazing experience for uh, to share the stage um, and you know be able to amplify uh, not only my voice um, but the voice yeah. of the law society, the work we're doing. Um, and others uh, to hear that um, on such a, a global stage. Yeah, I mean, uh, is that probably the most well-known person you've met during your presidency so far? Uh, well, I, I don't know, actually, because I've met, you know, a few, Sam Smith, um, you know, oh. uh, Ga yeah, Gareth Jones. I've met, I've met quite a few people along the way, but I think Hillary perhaps is, is yes, more, perhaps maybe more globally well known. Um, but yes, but yes, there's a couple of pictures floating around of me and Sam Smith and, and other people as well. Um, yeah, you're just showing off now. <laughs> and how did you find her? Was she very personable? Was she... she was, she was very personable. Um, there's a picture actually of, of her and I, um, I, which I don't think, I think I, I saved that for my personal archives as opposed oh. to, um, uh, publishing it but as we when we were walking back to um the green room um we were flanked by her bodyguards on on, on all sides um and you know i said i had my ipad in my hand and i said um hillary um can we have a selfie and, unashamedly uh, <laughs> well you know my mother says if you don't ask you don't yeah, get no, i'm with you on that yeah <laughs> yeah and she was she obliged yeah, well, I, and I, of course, I was in practicing for when Michelle Obama calls, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, so there was a bit of a joke between us about, you know, taking a, a selfie on an iPad and how that was going to work. And then she suggested that somebody else could take it. So uh, we did. Um, and that seemed to empower others then to ask for the same thing. But she was very lovely, very warm. Um, and, you know, um, and we had a good discussion about, you know, my time. Because uh, uh, when I first went to America as a child, I went to upstate New York. Um, and of course, she said, where, where, where? And, and oh, so I said, nice. Plattsburgh. Um, and then she said, yeah, because you remember, you know, I was the, the, the senator for, um, for New York. Um, so, of course, I had forgotten that, but don't tell her. <laughs> don't say, no, no. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a lovely story. Stephanie, you have been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for sharing um, your story with us. I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of people as well. And thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. Thank you for having me. The Hearing. Thank you so much for listening. And as ever, we would love to hear your feedback. Like and subscribe. And also, if you've got any thoughts, if you think about topics you want us to explore, or maybe you want a guest to be interviewed and you're dying for them to be interviewed, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.